All right. Well, Nikki and I have three kids. I know a lot of you know that because you might see them in the children's ministry and so forth, David, Alex, and Grace. And in preparation for this message that we're delving into right now, I asked my two older ones, six and nine, Alex and David, what are your favorite Bible stories um, that we read? By the way, for some reason, I don't know why I thought this, but at the moment I really thought one of them was going to say the Christmas story. We just spent all this time as a family looking at Christmas, and we, we read the Christmas story at home and different parts of it and so forth. And on Christmas morning, before we opened presents, we opened up Luke 2, and we read the Christmas story out of Luke 2. Granted, if you are 3, 6, and 9... The words out of that chapter might fly over your head if you have all these gifts begging to be opened. So if my kids didn't hear those words, I don't blame them. But neither neither of them said the Christmas story. And you know what? That's okay. There's a lot of other great stories of the Bible. Alex said Jonah and the big fish. David said David and Goliath. And you know what? We're going to go with one of those for today. We're going to go with David and Goliath. That's what we're going to read out of 1 Samuel 17. But before we do that, before we hear that story to ring in 2023 and see how that may apply to our lives and God's plan for the world, I do want to regale us with a story from Christmas Eve. Some of us were at the Forest Glen Christmas Eve service. That was a good time. I was a part of that service, some other people here were part of that service, and that was fun. After the service, I look at my phone and I see this text from my neighbor below, and he says, hey, are you guys doing the laundry because we're, we're getting a pretty steady leak of water in our laundry room? And I said, uh, no. Well, I texted, you know, I asked Nikki, did, did you do the laundry today? She's like, no, no. So I texted, no, no, we didn't do, didn't do any laundry. And actually, I really didn't think anything was wrong at all. We were, we were supposed to go from Forest Glen, our church in Forest Glen location, over to another gathering after that. And on the way there, I thought, well, you know what? I better just check and see what's happening in the laundry room, just in case something crazy is going on. And I honestly didn't think there was anything. But I get upstairs real quickly. I was going to be down in like 90 seconds. I come upstairs and I see that there there is water in places in the laundry room where it's not supposed to be. And I'm like, oh man, what, what is going on? And I quickly find out that it's our water heater that was leaking and was broken. And I thought, oh boy, you know, what are the odds What are the odds of us finding a plumber and a supplier to fix this on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or Monday, the day when many of us uh, take off, and perhaps even the rest of the week because that week was extraordinarily cold and there were all kinds of frozen pipes and so forth, so plumbers were doing stuff that week. Let me cut to the chase of one of the many twists and turns of this story that I'm regaling for us here. I did not shower for three and a half days last week. (laughs) Christmas Eve, Saturday, till Tuesday night. No shower. Now, I didn't tell a lot of people that this was happening, but a couple of you, or maybe two or three of you, knew what was going on, and you offered your showers. 
Thank you for that. And I was planning on taking advantage of that. The problem is with the timing of Christmas and then having going to my sisters in Wheaton and then with the unavailability of plumbers on Monday and what it is that we went through, which I will also tell you about, it just, I just wasn't able to take advantage of your excellent hospitality. So in the midst of Christmas, when we're all supposed to be having a good time, you know, I was concerned about the family being able to use hot water. I did find a guy, though, on Monday. I called about 10 companies. Most of them didn't pick up. Half of them quoted outrageous prices. I went with, with the cheapest guy who, if he's a plumber, he should know how to change a hot water heater. And, well, he comes in 2 p.m., and it's a fairly standard job. Granted, it's in kind of a tight space. Our laundry room is, is very tight. It's more like a closet. Um, but um, he, he looks and sees what's going on. Came in 2 p.m., and he did not leave until Monday morning, more like Tuesday, at 3 a.m. He and I were talking, having conversations at 1 a.m. in the morning and so forth. Didn't leave until 3 a.m. And he wasn't done. He had to solder and cut pipes multiple times because it just wasn't working properly. A lot of curveballs in the whole job and so forth. And there are a couple things that I probably would have done differently now that I understand how to change a hot water heater and so forth. He came back. This guy lives on 159th, close, close to I-57 south suburb of Chicago. He came down, he went down 3, p, 3 a.m., got home at 4 a.m., found out his wife locked him out of the bedroom, comes back home, or excuse me, comes back to my home at 9 a.m. on Tuesday. And he doesn't leave until 4 p.m. on Tuesday. This whole job took 26 hours to complete. Six total trips to Home Depot. I, I accompanied him to one of these trips. Many weird conversations in between. 26 hours to complete this job, but he finally completed it. And during this ordeal, I'm asking myself, you know, will I be able to have some joy and people, not joy, joy always, but happiness and peace and quiet during Christmas Will I be able to take a shower? Will my neighbors be okay? Will my family be able to use hot water? How much is all this going to cost me, of course? All during the holiday, we're all supposed to be having fun. With the timing and so forth, it just seemed like I had a giant problem on my hands, a Goliath that I had to deal with. We find the story of David and Goliath 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to tell us the bulk of the story with some verses sprinkled in. And this was a scenario. The Israelites and the Philistines, they were warring. And the way that these tribes warred back then, they would perch themselves on opposing mountaintops. So every single day, the army would come out of their camps They'd go up to opposing mountains, and they'd come out, kind of pose in front of, one, in front of each other, maybe taunt each other a little bit. Wouldn't go into the valley, because that's unsafe. You can shoot arrows there. And other armies, they would rarely attack the other army on the opposing mountain, because that, was a, that would put themselves in a major disadvantage. So really, you just had these armies that would come out and look at each other until someone flinches and something happens. 
Well, the Philistines, they had a champion, and his name was Goliath. And the Bible says that he was about nine feet tall. But if we look at the, the units of measurement that they used to, to measure people, if we take one interpretation, he might have been closer to six foot nine inches tall. Either way, he was clothed in all kinds of armor and weaponry. The Bible goes into a lot of detail into his armor, by the way. That's something else we could look at, but we don't have time for that today. And if you're six foot nine or particularly nine feet perhaps, that's much taller than the average five foot six man of that time period. He was an imposing guy, larger than anyone else out there. And what does Goliath do? He comes out and he challenges the Israelite army. He says, bring me your champion. I will face your champion. If I defeat your champion, then you, the Israelites, will become the servants of the Philistines. But if your champion defeats me, Goliath, then we will be your servants. He's thinking, of course, that there's no way that can possibly happen. On paper, there was almost no way for that to happen. And this kind of dueling of champions, this was actually very common in the region. Um, <clears throat> it, it, and very practical, right? If you could send out a champion instead of an army, you would avoid a major bloodbath. And the people thought back then that if you sent out a champion, then that tribe's God was going to back the champion, and whoever, whichever champion won, that meant that that God was more powerful. Back then, they didn't realize there's all these false gods, and there's only one true God, and so forth. Well, <clears throat> no Israelite soldier, nor King Saul, would take up this challenge. And Goliath taunted and challenged them for 40 days straight. And well, there's this shepherd boy, David, right? He's the youngest of eight children. Three of his brothers are in the army. And David, one day, he goes up to feed his brothers, which was common, to bring food up to the soldiers at the, at the war front. He comes out to feed his brothers, and he hears Goliath's taunt. And David is very upset about this because he knows Israel is God's people. And David... Ten years or so, sees that no Israelite nor King Saul is willing to face Goliath. So he says, you know what? I'm going to face Goliath. This kid is 10, maybe 8, maybe 14 years old, but probably less than 14. King Saul thinks this is kind of a silly idea, but King Saul, he has some knowledge. He, he knows who God is as well, He's, and he wants some Israelite to fight Goliath. So he says, okay, you know what? David, yes, you can fight Goliath. And what does Saul do? He gives David his armor. David tries on the armor very briefly and sees that it's way too large, way too heavy, <clears throat> and he's just going to disregard that armor and go with the clothes that he has on. And David saw himself as God's representative. He knew God was on God's people's side. And David's motive, motive to go out there was to let the world know who God really is. And so David announces he would not wear the armor because simply he would trust in what God was going to do. David comes out to the battlefield. He brings out a sling. He brings out five smooth stones, no sword, no armor, Goliath sees a small boy and says, you come to me with sticks, verse 43, 
Verse 45, David says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, David declares, All this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Immediately thereafter, we come to the fight scene. Goliath approaches David. David quickly approaches the battle line. David put his hand in his pouch, took out a stone, slung it, hits Goliath, straightened the forehead, The Bible says it buries deep in Goliath's forehead. Goliath falls face first into the ground. David comes up to Goliath, takes Goliath's heavy sword, chops Goliath's head off. What do the Philistines do? They flee away. God accomplished for the Israelites what the Israelites could not do by themselves. The Israelites were overjoyed and a major burden was lifted. And the story is very memorable, right? Little David defeats big Goliath. And if we insert God in the story, we could say, God chose David, this young boy, to defeat the enemy of God's people. So why were the Israelites troubled by the Philistines if they knew who God was? Well, they saw their situation They did all their calculations and had nearly a complete understanding of a very simple scenario, right? Big Goliath, unbeatable, versus any other soldier. By the way, the Israelites would not have had the same type of technology as the Philistines at this time. And the Israelites could not find a way out. On paper, the odds of an Israelite soldier defeating Goliath would have been exceptionally slim. But God accomplished what only he could accomplish, And it was in accordance with who God is and his plan for the world. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any Goliaths in your life? Is there someone taunting you in the battlefield? Is there a a relative or a boss who is abusive? Maybe it's not a person, but but perhaps it's a disease or an illness that you may have. Maybe you suffer from depression or an addiction. And for our younger folks out there, peer pressure is extraordinarily difficult to deal with these these days. You may be going through something that is so troublesome and confusing and no one else knows about it. That's you. My heart goes out to you. And I want to hear your story. And by the way, every single example that I just provide for you, provided for you is much larger than a water heater breaking on Christmas night. That hardly counts as a Goliath application. What is it in your life that you cannot defeat on your own? What is it in your life that you cannot defeat without a champion? We all have Goliaths in our lives, but who's our champion? 
So often we are actually like the Israelite army. We feel hopeless. We know God, but we don't act like we know who he is. His power, his might, his care for us, his love for us. His love for us that exceeds all other love that we've ever experienced other than from God. Other times we're actually like Goliath. We see the situation. We build ourselves up as tougher and stronger and more equipped with the world's resources than any other item out there. And we say, you know what, with everything that I have, I am ultimately going to win this battle. All of us have this sin issue to deal with. We forget who God is. And why does evil continue to exist in the world? Maybe you're in a situation when you're saying, where you are saying, why is this happening to me? Why won't this injury get better? Why does this person keep doing this to me? Why do my classmates keep calling me this name? God, in his kindness and grace, sent his son to be our champion. David defeats Goliath. Jesus defeats Satan. Jesus is the greater David, the perfect shepherd. Just as David had once gone into single-handed battle with the enemy of Israel, Jesus would single-handedly triumph over the enemy of our souls. God is more than capable of defeating the Goliaths in our lives. But let's not stop there. If all God is to us is someone who wins our battles we encounter, then we might miss the point because the story becomes only about us. We often read of God healing people. Jesus came into the world. He healed the sick. And Jesus still continues to do that. He sends a spirit to to heal people. That is happening today. But when we find our champion in Jesus, we begin to see our situations much differently. We begin to understand who God is and his plan to save the world. Maybe that abusive boss that continues to taunt us, maybe that person still exists, but when we have Jesus in our hearts, we begin to find ways to love that person, ways that we haven't thought of before. Maybe that sickness isn't going away, but when we have Jesus with us, we begin to depend on him more and he shows up. And the greatest Goliath Jesus ever defeated was our own sin. Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey to go to the cross. It is there that Jesus conquered our hearts. And for those of us that have him, that know what he accomplished for us, he has taken residence in our hearts. As a pastor, I get to hear your stories And if we haven't grabbed a cup of coffee, please know I want to do that with you. If if you want to grab several cup of coffees and hear each other's stories, I would love to do that with you this year. And the elders would love to do that with you and Phil would love to do that with you and so forth. There's plenty of people here, the deacons, small group leaders that want to hear your story. And maybe you feel like your Goliath isn't defeated yet. Know this, when Jesus comes back, he's not coming on a donkey. He's coming on a white horse, 
Revelation 19. And he's going to be wearing a robe dipped in blood and he will have a sword and no evil will be able to withstand the power of Jesus any longer. Sin and death and pain and suffering will be eradicated once and for all. For some of us, 2022 might have been a difficult year. For other of us, perhaps not. Praise God for that. One of my friends on social media, though, I saw he wrote, 2022, you brought nothing good to me. Let's ring in 2023. If that's you, know that you're not alone. We want to walk alongside you. And we have a God who knows exactly where to meet you. And you have all the evidence in the world to know that. Because he sent his son, a real person, who became God in the flesh, who was God in the flesh, exactly where he needed to be sent. God has sent his son into the world to know us intimately, to live with us, to ultimately go to the cross to save us. And Jesus defeats all that causes pain and hardship once and for all. And when we follow him, things that seem so bleak and daunting, they become lighter. They become clearer to us. We begin to see them differently. Even when the ordeal isn't over yet, we still have a sense that it's already defeated. Because through Jesus, we already have a path to victory. When that plumber finished the job at my house this week, you know, obviously he'd been at my house way too long. And he was, he was a wreck. It's just as ugly as it sounds. He upset his wife, as I mentioned, locked him out of the bedroom. He also wasn't having a good season in general. Over the course of 26 hours, we talked about a lot of things. Bands we liked. Talked about Guns N' Roses back on tour. I told him as a pastor, there are some songs that I no longer listen to. And we had spiritual conversations. And he told me about his past drug addictions. And he told me about his brother and his father and his ex-co-worker that had wronged him. And he told me about his mother that he stole from and confessed to and was extremely sad that she passed away a few years ago. This man was bearing a lot of pain. Found that out over 26 hours. He quoted me a very low rate at the beginning, and I knew that as this was going on, he was going to up the price and so forth. And I got to give him credit. After all, there's a whole lot of folks that would have ditched this job, even if it wasn't the job's fault. But he was committed to getting it done, and I thank him for that. And over six additional trips to Home Depot, he made about $80 worth of uh, purchases and extra parts. And of course, he wanted to pass that off to me. He originally would not have done that, but at this point, the next day, the next night, he wanted to do that. And he sheepishly asked me if this, this final number sounds okay. And I respond to this. Yes, that final number sounds okay, and here's an extra $50. 
Because when you have more questions about Jesus, you give me a call. And right after that, after 26 hours, we had an additional 30-minute conversation in the parking lot outside of my condo building, right in the, right the back, in the cold. What were we talking about? We were talking about people that he needed to forgive. And he was asking me, how do I forgive this person? He's, he's done me so wrong, but what do I do? Do I just shoot him a text or shoot him an email? It's real basic stuff and so forth, stuff that we all still need to figure out. I said, I gave him some suggestions. And what do we do at the end? He said, boy, you know, that one's really going to help me out. We hugged it out at the end. This was an, this was an epic water heater fix. As painful as the whole Christmas water heater situation seemed as a follower of Christ, I don't need to let the situation define my holiday or even my family's holiday. It's up to me to make sure that the rest of my family is okay. Without Jesus, I actually might have been compelled to rip this guy to shreds. I could have paid him half of what he asked. I could have said, here you go, take this, tough luck. And I would have had all the leverage in the world to do it if I gave you more details. And that's how, that's how the world often does, does things as well. But Jesus has already shown the reality of our hearts and the response and the reasons why he came. Jesus is all we need to know. Jesus is all we need to let us know how bad situations will turn out for those that follow him, even if something breaks again, because Jesus is our ultimate victory. As victory, our victory as followers of Jesus is that he took on our two toughest Goliaths, sin and death, and he conquered those. The victory of the greater David, Jesus, allows us to fight the giants in our life differently. And when we encounter the the giants that we come across, we can ask ourselves, will I trust God through this? Will I enter the situation and navigate it as if Jesus defines the course of my life? We may or may not get our way. We may or not get what we're hoping for, the victory as we envision it, but God is more interested in our trust in him. And Jesus has made that possible because when Jesus comes back, he will be victorious and that is how the story ends. Who is Jesus going to be for you in 2023? Is he going to be your victorious champion? Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Father, that we get to come to you And know your power, know your might, know your love, know your care for us through the story of David and Goliath. And know, Father, that all of you is available for us through what it is that you've already achieved through us through your Son, Jesus Christ. He achieved all that it is that we need, Lord, to be reconciled to you, to be with you now and forever. There's no greater place than we could be. We get to be here in this space with believers, that is yet again a testimony of your goodness and kindness to us, Father. Lord, we thank you and bless you. In Christ's name, amen.